Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. I'm absolutely convinced that somebody in this room is the reason that God directed me to preach two verses of Scripture today. I'm absolutely convinced that somebody watching on TV or by Facebook is the reason God has ordained these two passages of Scripture today. And I say that not all the time, but I say that when it's particularly difficult to hear what God has to say on a Sunday. So on Tuesday, Matthew asked me, he said, Jeff, what are you preaching Sunday? Normally we, we discuss this and, and I'm able to say, this is what it is. And I literally said to him, I have no idea. I wish I knew. Then on Wednesday, he texted me again, hey, Jeff, you got an idea? And I said, no, but if you have an idea, let me know. <laughs> and on Thursday, and then on Friday, and I almost posted on Facebook something to the effect of, if anybody knows what I'm supposed to preach, I'd sure like to know, because God hasn't said anything. And then Friday night, just as clear as day, God gave me these two passages in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. And part of the reason I think that these two passages came up is because this week in particular, every week is like this, but this week in particular, I had glimpses of death in different people's lives. I got notice that of a good friend of ours from Nashville, their 30-year-old daughter was driving in a car from Oklahoma to Texas, and she was in a wreck, and her life was ended instantly. And then I got a call on Friday from a friend of mine who said, Jeff, my husband wants you to do his funeral. The doctors have said he, is, he has hours left. And I said, I want to come and talk to him. And so I went and I spoke with him face to face. And I just asked him the question. I said, the doctors say that you're going to die very soon. I said, tell me what you want me to tell people. What are your last words to them? And one of the things that he mentioned to me was he said, you know, I, I feel like I'm standing in a door with one foot in eternity and one foot in the present. And I'm, I'm torn because I know what God has planned and I know what God has in store and yet I also want to spend more time with my family. He said, I was afraid a few weeks ago, and then God reminded me of the promises that I have through Jesus Christ. So I'm not afraid. I'm ready. And then I read a, a story just in the last couple of days of a 14-year-old kid who went to a birthday party. And at this birthday party, he was in a lake and the canoe overturned and he drowned. This particular kid was notable in terms of why I was reading his story on a national blog, because he was the only person in his family who did not have some sort of a disability. His mother and his father were in wheelchairs because of different injuries and different things in life that caused them to be unable to walk. He had a younger sibling who was on the autism spectrum and very, very unable to do uh, uh, really day-to-day -day life tasks. And so this kid at 14 was literally keeping his family afloat and leading them. And as I read through the story, I found that at the age of three years old, he learned how to rebuild engines on vehicles. And then some around the age of six years old, I think he, he, he started a turkey farm to raise income to feed his family. 
And then somewhere around the age of 10, he bought a 350-acre farm so that he could take the dust bowl that it was and turn it into sustainable farming. This is a 10-year-old who owns 350 acres. He did it all on his own, going to the bank, securing the loan. He bought a John Deere tractor, and he dug ditches, and he traded uh, a piece of land that he bought previously for a person to come and dig him a well at their house. And at 14 years old, he had a plan in life to create sustainable farming for this desolate land in Utah. And on this particular day, the canoe overturned, and he breathed his last. And the question that went through my mind was, what could have been the result of this boy's life? What could he have done? If he did this much by the time he's 14, he's done more than me at almost 50. Yet, he breathed his last. And then, I went to a funeral yesterday, a 96-year-old, who one moment was playing cards, and the next moment, entering into eternity. And so the question that, that, that kept ringing through my mind is this. Are you ready? Are you ready to breathe your last? Because the Bible says that one day you will have an appointment with death. And the thing that we think is, it's going to be when I'm older. I've got plenty of time now, but that's just not true. As I've just described, it could be 14, it could be 24, it could be 50, it could be 105. You don't know when your last breath is going to be breathed, but what we do know is that it is appointed unto men once to die. And so your heart has, an, has a finite number of beats. Your body has a finite number of steps. When you take that last breath, you will step through a door into eternity. And according to Jesus, there are only two options through that door. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. He's in, pull the lights up, please, so we can see our scripture. Uh, he, he's speaking towards the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's dealing with multiple physical issues, but all of those physical issues really are pointing to the condition of a person's heart. That's the bottom line. What's the condition of your heart? And so in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus kind of sums all of this up. This is the, the, the point of what he's saying. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Verse 13. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and how difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Notice it's an either or. It's a one or the other. We could say it this way. It's a fork in the road. But many of us have this mindset that it really is a fork in the road. We come to the end of the road, we can go right or we can go left. But in our minds, we look at it like it's an interstate. you got two lanes that go this way and two lanes that go that way. You can either go north or you can go south. But that's not the way it is at all according to Jesus. Jesus said it's more like an interstate that's an eight-lane road, and just off the corner of, of this interstate, there's a pig trail. You know what a pig trail is, right? It's, it's a little dusty dirt road that's barely noticeable sometimes, and it's barely uh, traversable sometimes, but nevertheless, it's this little teeny tiny road that goes off to the side. 
And it describes that narrow is the way to destruction and small, or excuse me, broad is the way to destruction, but small or narrow is the way to life. Why is that? Because humans don't have to do anything to wind up in destruction. Now, what is destruction? Biblically speaking, it's when we die, what happens to us? Now, there are those who would say that when you die, that's all there is. And to be honest with you, if there was nothing after death, why wouldn't you live your best life in whatever that means and whatever feels good? If there was nothing after, why would you do anything but what pleases yourself? Many people live that way. But what if there is something after? What if you really are eternal in nature? What if there is really an everlasting? What if physical death is not the end? I have to say to you, I've, I've encountered death multiple times. Just because I'm in ministry, I'm, I'm at hospitals, and I, I'm, at with, I'm with people in those moments. I've seen people die who know Jesus. My friend who I'm going to be doing a funeral this week for him, most likely. It's a beautiful thing. There is no fear. There, there's a little bit of, un, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how it will go, but, but there's a hope in his life that is, that is palpable. He speaks of it. Then I've been with others who I knew that they didn't know Jesus because they said they didn't know Jesus. And it was the most awful, horrible, tormentuous time I've ever experienced. One in particular, I was at her bedside in the ICU at Baptist Hospital. And I watched her slip into eternity. And it was awful how she was fighting and the fear and all of those things. Listen, I want to tell you, whether you believe it or not, it's still true. You are going to die physically, but there is an eternity after that. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that what you do now affects your eternity. The decisions you make today affect your eternity. And somebody in here might say, look, I'm just going to wait a little bit longer. You can wait a little longer, but you're not guaranteed one more breath. That's why there's such an urgency in me right now for you. Because if you're in this place, or if you're watching wherever you're watching, and you don't have the question settled of where will you spend eternity, my fear is that you might wait just a bit too long. So what does it mean for broad is the way that leads to, dis to, to destruction? What does it mean when Jesus said that that Wide is the road and broad is the way. What, what does that mean? It means there are many paths to destruction. And the lie of the devil is that there are many paths to God. Many paths. So most of us think that destruction, the path to destruction, is the highway to hell. Now, yes, in my head this week, I was singing ACDC, Highway to Hell. You're welcome. Now you are as well. Can I just... Read you some of the lyrics. How many of y'all are old enough to know this song? Right? I almost had Matthew play it, but I figured that wouldn't be a good thing. That would be totally distracting. So listen. Here are the lyrics. Living easy, loving free, season ticket, on a one-way ride. Right? Asking nothing, leave. You're welcome. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. I don't need rhythm, a reason, I don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing that I'd rather do. Going down party time, my friends are going to be there too. 
No stop signs, no speed limit, nobody's going to slow me down. It's the idea of let's just party hard all of life, get the most out of it. And it's the recognition, I'm on a highway to hell, and there's a celebration there. Now, for most of us, that's what we think the Bible means when it says, broad is the way, right? Wide is the gate. That's only one way. See, broad is the way means the Pharisees. Who said, I've been good. I've been religious. I've done my duty. I've given my money. I don't think that bad. I'm pretty good. It's the idea that you can put your bad on one side and your good on the other side on the scales of justice. And as long as the scale tips just a little bit in your favor, you're going to be okay. Jesus said, that's not the way it works. Because in Isaiah, we find that all of our righteous acts, everything good we've ever done in our entire life, are like filthy, rotten rags. No matter what you do, that scale will never be tipped. What Jesus was addressing in the passages before he spoke of this narrow and broad way, he was addressing three primary issues. One, self-righteousness. Two, Self-sufficiency. And three, hypocrisy. And isn't that true of our culture today? We're awful self-righteous. I'm not really that bad. I mean, I'm not like Mother Teresa good. But I'm not like Hitler bad. Right? We always want to qualify that, right? And, we, and sometimes we want to use it twice. I'm not like bad bad. I mean, I'm not like good good. I'm just, I'm I'm just kind of kind of bad. Listen, the Bible says that if you offend the law at one point, if you tell one lie, if you cheat one time, if you have one lustful thought, just one time breaking the law, the Bible says that you are condemned. Why? Because the only way into God's presence is perfection. It's being righteous. That's why when the man came to Jesus at night and said, hey, well, what does it take to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, the, you know the commandments, you know the law. And he started naming them, and the, the man said, well, I've done all those. I'm pretty righteous. And then Jesus said, oh, but there's one thing you haven't done. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. It wasn't about his money. It was about idolatry in his heart. And the fact is, he hadn't kept the law. He had lied. He had lusted. He had done all of those things. And so according to Jesus, the road that, is, that leads to destruction. By the way, it's not just eternal destruction. But it's destruction in life as well. People who don't live according to God's law don't have a life that is posted on Facebook. It is full of heartbreak and it's full of misery. It might be full of stuff, but that stuff often is the cause of such of their, of their heartbreak and their misery. You can talk to some of the wealthiest people on the planet, and they will tell you, if they're not with, with Christ, they're empty, and buying one more thing just doesn't satisfy. That's why some, sometimes you'll ask them, so how much money is enough? Well, one more dollar, because the idea is, if I can have one more dollar, I can just find that satisfaction or that peace. Here's the truth, folks. The road to destruction is a road that most people are going on. You say, well, Jeff, how can you be so condemning? Guys, I'm not. I'm simply telling you what Jesus said. 
Believe me, I would love for God to have said, look, there are many ways to me. You can go through this religion or this pathway. It would be much easier if we could just say, look, y'all just figure it out. Because you wouldn't have to speak truth like this. But the fact is, Jesus said of himself, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one, notice that, he was very clear. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the gate. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the shepherd. Right? So very clearly throughout Scripture, he said that he is the only way. The Bible tells us there's one mediator between God and man. That mediator is Christ Jesus. So if broad is the way, and many will find it. Listen, it's, like, it's more like this. You're just driving down the road. You don't have to turn anywhere. Just keep driving. And it can be that your life is fully good or your life is fully bad. But without Christ Jesus, the end result is exactly the same. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the road that leads to life. Narrow is the gate, difficult is the road. Narrow as the gate means it's only Jesus. No other way. Difficult as the road means that in order to go through the gate, you've got to repent. You've got to recognize that you're turning away from the crowd. Now, there are those who will tell you, come like you are. And I think that's a great travesty because we've preached this in a desire to get people just to come to Christ. Just here, give Jesus a shot. Give God a chance. Folks, I get what we're saying by that, but here's the truth of the matter. Come as you are does not mean stay as you are. There is no salvation apart from repentance. You cannot come to God and simply say, God, check my box, give me fire insurance, and then I'm going to go live like hell. You cannot do that. You say, well, it's not about works. No, it's not about works. But if you are truly born again, if you truly have a relationship with Jesus, your life changes. So you cannot come to Christ if you're not willing to lay down your life. Jesus said it this way. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, in another part, the disciples said, well, who then can be saved? Because the disciples who had started following him started leaving him. I mean, think about it. Jesus was a horrible church planner and a horrible pastor by our standards. And he was a terrible salesman. No, no church planner wants people to leave, but Jesus was saying, are you going to go too? He looked him square in the face. He said, all the disciples, are, or a lot of them are leaving. Are you going to go too? What was he saying? He was saying, look, I'm not going to compromise the message because the message is truth just to get you to be here. You being here is not the point. You being in a right relationship with God is the point. Amen. That's what God wants because God wants to redeem us. And here's the thing. Many of us go to Jesus like I went to my doctor this week or last week. I went to the doctor a week or so ago and I, I did some blood work and, you know, I was doing a physical and they were checking me out, make sure I wasn't you know, going to die right away, at least hopefully. So I get the reports back, and here's what the report says. I got a little bit of high cholesterol. So the recommendation, cut down on red meat, milk, and bacon. I literally texted my doctor, don't touch my bacon. 
I did. She did a laughing emoji, but I was serious, man. Do not mess with my swine flesh. Uh-uh. That's my morning breakfast. I eat two eggs or three eggs, and I have four slices of bacon. Amen? Amen. That's what Jesus said we're to do. It's in 1 Jeffrey 4.22. I mean, I even was so, I was so worked up about it, I even posted, trade two years of my life to eat bacon, I'll make that trade. Many of us have the same attitude when it comes to God, though. God, I, I trust you, but I am not going to do that. And Jesus will have the same response to you as he had to the rich young ruler. He turned and walked away because Jesus wouldn't change the standard simply to have another person step into the insurance. It's not about you getting fire insurance. It's about you having a relationship with the God who made you. It's about you being transformed. And listen, there were three issues that I talked about. Remember, Jesus said, there, there, essentially, there are three issues. We are self-righteous. We are self-sufficient. We're hypo hip hypocritical. Self-righteous in that we think we're better than we really are. Listen, folks, you can't compare yourself to anyone else but Jesus. He's the standard. If you don't meet up to His standard... You have no righteousness in you. That's not me. That's the scripture. Self-sufficiency is this. I'll just work my own way to eternity. I'll just, I'll just make my way into heaven. Listen, there are some things you can be self-sufficient on. Like you can cut your own hair. You can even get good at it. I cut my own hair. I do. In the mirror, I'm like, me, me. The back is kind of hard. It's a challenge. But I'm saving 25 bucks every, every six weeks. That's a win to me. Besides, you're not looking at the back of my head, so why do I care, right? You can, you can build your own house. You can do your plumbing. You have the right to do that. If you have the skill, you, you can fix your own car. I got a call Friday night from Joshua. He said, hey, my truck's broke down. I'm on 87. Can you come and get me? I said, nope. I'm on a date with your mom. I mean, I wasn't that crude, but I pretty much said, good luck. That's what happens when your kids grow up and get out of the house. It's like, woo, I don't have to do it any. So I, I knew he'd figure it out, and so he figured it out, and then yesterday spent all day under it and fixed it, right? You can be self-sufficient. You can fix your own stuff, but there are some things you can't do. If you have a heart attack, you can't give yourself mouth-to-mouth uh, -mouth and compressions. Nobody has ever given themselves compressions. Why? Because the heart has canceled every part of your body to do anything. You need someone else to step in and save your life. Isn't it funny how people would say, oh, religion's just a crutch for weak people? Okay, when you have a heart attack, we're just going to stand back and go, okay, go for it. Nobody would do that. That's insane, right? How is it a crutch to trust in the only way we have for salvation? That's not a crutch. That's hope. That's truth. And so narrow is the way. Now listen to how bad of a salesman Jesus is. <laughs> and I, I say that tongue in cheek because the truth is being a believer is not all bad. Matter of fact, I would say it's mostly hopeful. But we need to go into this with our eyes open. He said, narrow is the gate. Let me get my eyes to focus. And difficult is the road and few that find it. Narrow, difficult, few. Those are not sales words. He would have made a bad timeshare salesman. 
Think about it. Have you ever gone to a timeshare time salesman? Anybody in the house timeshare salesman? Okay, good. Maybe you should have asked that before. You ever gone to a timeshare guy and they say, listen, now, this is going to be a nice place to have, but you just need to know that we're going to increase your fees every month or every year. Oh, by the way, you will be paying these fees even after you're dead. Oh, and by the way, this is going to transfer to your kids, and they'll have to pay these fees after you're dead. I mean, they never say that, do they? No. They tell you all the pretty stuff, all the shiny stuff, all of why you deserve to have a timeshare. Jesus said this. He said, listen, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. Repentance is necessary. Self-sacrifice is necessary. There's some suffering and some pain along the way. It's necessary. You won't be popular. It's necessary. You won't have everything you've ever wanted. You won't have a shiny car. You won't have a brand new airplane. There's some preachers that will tell you that's the gospel and it's not. It's just not. Listen, if the gospel doesn't work in uh, uh, South Sudan, if that gospel doesn't work there, then it doesn't work here. Because the gospel is transferable into every single culture. Because the gospel is eternal truth, not human truth. Does that make sense to you? So if somebody's preaching you a gospel that doesn't work in every corner of the earth, it's not the gospel. It's a perverted form of the gospel. When he said narrow and hard and difficult and few, I hope you can hear the cry of his heart also saying, but you come. In this place today, I believe there's somebody in this room who's not yet taken the pig trail. You've not yet said yes to Jesus by saying no to yourself. With every fiber of my body, I want to compel you to come. I wish there was a button I could push. I wish I could make this intellectual argument. I wish I could meet every uh, answer to every question that you've had about this. But I simply can't. I can simply say that Jesus himself is inviting you through me to be in a relationship with the God of the universe. I'm an ambassador. If you know Jesus, you're an ambassador. And we are about the business of reconciling people to God. This morning, have you been what Jesus called born again? Now, I know that many of you are church folks. I know many of you have, have a history of, 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 of faith. But I'm going to ask every single one of us in this room to question and to doubt your own salvation. You say, why would you do that? Because here's what I've discovered. Sometimes until you test things, you don't really know if they're real. If you're truly born again and you question your own salvation, if you're born again, you're going to find out quickly and be affirmed, yes, I know Jesus. But you, but you might have one of those chocolate bunnies at Easter that looks pretty on the outside, but it's nothing but cheap chocolate and a hollow inside. You might have something that looks like genuine faith, but somehow or another you've missed it. I don't know if that's you or not. But if you'll ask God, God, do I genuinely know you? Have I genuinely re repented? Have I genuinely been converted? Am I genuinely born again? God will show you. And if the answer to that question is no, I want to invite you this 
very day to trust in Jesus. Again, if you're watching by TV right now, I want to invite you to trust in Jesus. There is nothing more important in your life than right this moment. Knowing that you know that you know that you're right with God. Will you take a moment and close your eyes? Just bow your head. I hope you hear that grace abounds in this place. I hope you hear that God is a God who extends this invitation to know Him. That Jesus Christ paid all of the penalty for your sin and for mine. For the scales to tip, all you need is one drop of blood. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. The Bible tells us if anyone would call upon him, they will be saved. This morning, if you need to be born again, if you confess and acknowledge that your sin condemns you, just cry out to him. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm not proud of it. It's just, it's, it's, it's what I am. God, I acknowledge that I need forgiveness. And God, I acknowledge that Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died. And then he rose again on the third day so that I could be made right with you. Jesus, I invite you into my life. And I ask you to save me. Make me your child. In Jesus' name. All over this room, will you be praying? If you know Christ, I want you just to pray. For whoever's hearing my voice in this moment, just pray that God would, would move folks to salvation. Nothing is more important. Very quietly and very slowly. Will you stand to your feet? And as Matthew leads us in the song, if you trusted Christ this morning, I want to invite you to just come and say to me, Jeff, I trusted Christ. It might take a little bit of courage, maybe a little bit of boldness, but I promise you, nobody in this room will think anything but be satisfied and happy for you. morning if you want to make this your church home maybe maybe you should need to come and kneel and pray you know sometimes god calls us to move our feet as an act of our faith would you simply respond to him and as we sing this let these words be more than just words let them be expressed to god himself as a way of worship sing again Find out more about 